Um, we are talking about navy socks and aftershave for the next three weeks. Uh, the subtitle is The Things You Really Want This Christmas. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But I, I want to give you just a, a challenge this morning. Next week um, is, is the Sunday before Christmas. And um, I'm going to be sharing a message specifically, uh, not just for for us who come and are regulars uh, at a church, but I'm going to be sharing a message that presents the gospel of Jesus very plainly uh, and in a way that, that everyone can understand. I encourage you, issue an invitation to someone to come with you next week. Issue an invitation. If you think about it, the reason you are here this morning is because someone at some point in time issued you an invitation and said, would you like to come with me? Um, The reason you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you do, is because someone issued you the invitation. God himself issued you the invitation, said, hey, look what I did with my son on your behalf. Would you be willing Would you be willing to accept this? And so you play an important role in what God wants for Thomasville. Uh, God wants, how many of you know God wants people saved, healed, delivered, set free? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a role. Your role, it's simple. You don't have to save anyone. You don't have to die on a cross. Congratulations. Right? You don't have to ascend into heaven. You don't have to rise from the dead on the third day. You don't have to be born in a manger. All you have to do is invite someone. That's a good deal. That's a good deal, isn't it? I encourage you, this week, would you pray? Would you, if you're married, would you get with your spouse and say, hey, who should we invite? I encourage you, you, know, you can even pick them up. You can even take them out to, uh, to lunch afterwards. And heck, you can even save your lunch money all this week to save up so you can pay for their meal. Um, and so I encourage you, people are open to the gospel around Christmas time. And so I, I really want to encourage you, ask the Lord, who can I invite? Don't invite someone if they're already plugged into their own church, okay? I'm talking about people who don't know the Lord, okay? Okay, good deal. We don't want to be sheep stealers, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to, before I get started, I just want to, did, did y'all see this stage? Is this not amazing? So good. Yeah, I love it. This is like... Some serious, like, Moses in the burning bush stuff. Like, the, the fire is happening, but, like, the wood's not being burned. I like it. It's really cool. Uh, Wanda Nisley uh, headed this up. Um, Wanda's back there. Hi, Wanda. She's actually going to be joining the church next. Yeah. And uh, a friend of the house, April McClellan, has been helping her, and Will uh, has been helping as well. So we're thankful for that. Okay, I'm going to start preaching. Is that cool? I'm going to start talking. Stop talking. Start preaching. Y'all like, bring the word. Navy socks and aftershave. What am I talking about? So when I was a kid, uh, you know, I would ask my dad. I would say, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Or I would ask him for his birthday. What do you want for your birthday? God, Dad, what do you want? And it, for a range of time, when I was a kid, probably until middle school, Almost always, without fail, my dad would say, Navy socks and aftershave. Navy socks, because he wore Navy socks every day to work. It was something that, you know, he he needed. And then aftershave, he used that nasty green aqua velva stuff 
And I, I can still smell it, you know, in your memory. And he just splashed it on his face after he shaved. That was what he used. He said, navy socks and aftershave. And year after year, Christmas, birthday, we would go out with mom and we would get dad. Actually, we wouldn't even go with her lots of times. Uh, we'd get dad navy socks and aftershave. Now, as I got older, and once I began to grow up, become a teenager, and eventually into adulthood, it stuck with me. Why would dad always tell me navy socks and aftershave? Um, and there are a couple reasons, and one of the reasons I want to tell you this morning, uh, we're going to talk about, is that dad was content. Dad was content. When he was saying, boys... I want you to buy me navy socks and aftershave. What he was really saying is, I don't need anything. I, I use these things on a regular daily basis, but I, I don't need anything. There's, there's nothing that you can give to me that I need right now. And, and that is a sign of contentment. And we're going to talk about contentment this morning. And, and contentment is one of those things that tends to, we, we tend to come face to face with it during the holiday season. Whenever you, how many of you know you're going to get some sort of gift in or around Christmas, right? You're going to get some sort of something, right? And so immediately we start, well, what am I going to get? Well, how much is it going to cost? Well, is it going to be, is it going to be what I want or is it going to be something else? Is it going to be something I have to go, thank you, right? If you're a parent of young children, you know they have no filter. And if they get a crummy gift... You can see the look on their face. They're like, this stinks. And they're about to open their mouth and say, I already have this. Or, or I don't like this. Or something like that. And you immediately, you're like, say, say thank you. Say thank you. <laughs> right? You're trying to train them. Say thank you. Please don't embarrass me. <laughs> say thank you. So, so we immediately go to what's in it for me. What can I get out of this holiday season? What can I get out of Christmas gift giving? I want to encourage you this morning, we need to learn to be content. We need to learn to say, hey, navy socks and aftershave. Whatever. I'm good with whatever. Hey, you buy me the gift that's the best gift ever? Hey, that's wonderful. You totally forget to get me one? It's okay, man. We all make mistakes. That contentment, that lifestyle of contentment is what I'm chasing after. And and we can see contentment defined in Scripture. Um, If you look at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 3, I'm going to read this to you in the New Living Translation, and I'm going to give you a definition. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 3. Paul um, is in prison, and, and he actually had just received a care package from the Philippians. Okay? So he got in a care package from one of the churches that he started. He would go around starting churches, and then he'd get in trouble, get thrown in jail. Uh, and then he would write the churches, not knowing that that would one day become the Bible that people were reading 2,000 years later. Um, and he would write letters encouraging them and saying different things. Well, at this point in time, he's, talk, he's thanking them for the care package that he got from them while he was in prison. I'm sure it had books and um, video games, maybe a tablet or something in there, right, iPad, whatever. Who knows what was in it? Maybe it was food, maybe it was clothes, but whatever it was. So verse 10 He says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, not that I was ever in need, 
For I've learned to be content, there's that word, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty. Man, I'm not there yet. I get hangry. Does anyone else get hangry? You get angry and hungry at the same time? Like your stomach's growling, you're like, I need something or I'm going to be difficult to live with, right? But he says, I have learned to be, whether my stomach is full or empty, with plenty or with little. And then we come to a verse that probably every single one of you, every single person, first, second uh, service, both alike, have heard this next scripture. You've heard it. You probably can quote it. You've seen it on mugs. You've seen it on t-shirts. You've seen it on napkins. You've seen it on, on, on placards. You've seen it framed in people's houses. And now you're going to see the context in which this verse actually resides. He says, I know how to do everything. Stomach empty, stomach full, plenty or little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Familiar verse, right? Of course, we tend to you know, think that it's about, you know, God, please help me play football well today. You know, I can do, I can play tennis through Christ. And, and you can. Uh, God is not, well, he's playing tennis. I'm not a part of his life now. I mean, God doesn't back away during these moments, but the context of this verse, I can do anything or I can do everything through Christ. What he's actually saying is it doesn't matter what my situation is. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. It doesn't matter what my environment is. I can be content. I can be content. I've learned. And, and see, he says, I've learned. Do you see that? I've learned the secret. I've learned. See, you are not born content. You're not born with, with, with content reserves. You're born wanting everyone to satisfy your every need. You were born with your hand out saying, bring it, give it, I need it. You have to learn how to be content, right? And Paul's saying, I have learned, I have learned. So if we look at Paul's example of contentment, here is the definition I want you to remember for contentment. It is this. Needing nothing because you know you already have everything. The definition of contentment is the state of needing nothing because you already know you have everything. Everything worthwhile. Everything worth having. You already have. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you guys, you already have everything. You have everything. So why would you allow yourself to succumb to the idea that you need something? Now, you may want something, and that's okay. It's okay to want something. It's okay when someone comes to you and says, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you go, hey, I'd like this, this, or this, right? I love people that give me a list. That way I don't have to think about anything. Okay, go buy this. Okay. I like that. Okay? But it's fine to want things, but contentment says I don't need Anything, Because everything I would ever need, I already have. I'm content within myself. The root, the, the Greek word here that's used for contentment, the root is actually strong, strength. To have, I am strong. I, I, I'm not so weak in that I need something else. And we'll talk some more about that down, down the road here. See, back to my dad with the Navy socks and the aftershave. I mean, he probably did ask mom for some real gifts. <laughs> But, but dad knew that what he really needed most uh, couldn't have been wrapped in a box anyway, right? 
It couldn't have been wrapped in a box anyway. The greatest gifts that the Lord has for you in this life, you can't put a bow on it. They aren't tangible. They aren't physical, right? They're relationships. And the number one being the relationship with Jesus. Um, I want to show you that same verse. I'm going to pick out a couple of verses. I want to read it to you in uh, the Amplified. And if you'll just read this, I know it's kind of small print. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 11 in the Amplified says, I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. Then we skip to verse 13. I can do all things which he has called me to through him. Now see, that's... See, we take these verses out. I can do all things through Christ. Well, you can't murder someone through Christ, right? I mean, so you can't do all things through Christ, right? You can't cheat on your taxes through Christ. Um, So you can do all things that he has called you to and that's biblical and that's part of his will through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. See, the world tries to build up our inner man and say, hey, uh, you need to be self-sufficient. You need to be fully independent and, and working on your... And that's true. When it comes to your finances, when it comes to all this kind of stuff, absolutely, you don't need to be dependent on anyone else. But spiritually, you will always be a dependent. You know, when I fill out my taxes, I list my three kids as dependents because they don't do much of anything. I love them. They're wonderful. They make me happy. They don't contribute. When they do contribute, it's because I made them. So they are what we call dependents. Guys, I always want to be a dependent in the kingdom of God. I always want to be someone that's self-sufficient, but only because of Christ's sufficiency. Amen? I'm ready for anything. Continuing reading. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything. Through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. So you see how strength is the core of this? See, contentment is not weak to be content. It's not giving up on life to be content. It's actually strong to be content. Because you, again, you realize you don't need anything. I don't need anything. Get me navy socks. I don't care. Get me ugly navy socks. I don't care. (laughs) Right? Do you see? So why should we desire to be content? Well, because Jesus demonstrates this pattern to us. If we'll look a couple chapters back, Philippians chapter 2. Again, this is the the Apostle Paul still talking. Because you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, we're about to learn a couple things. First of all, we're given instruction, hey, live this way. And secondly, we're told, because this is how Jesus lived. So this is going to be, this is good information. All right, you with me? All right. Verse 6, though he was God, Jesus was God, by the way, you know, still is, too. He didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, look, Jesus was preexistent. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word. All right, and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus existed before he was born of Mary. Okay, he existed beforehand, and when he came down to the earth to be the savior of the world, he left, one, one, uh, actually the next verse, it says, he gave up his divine privileges. See, Jesus didn't come to the earth 
to be to rule with an iron fist. He came to demonstrate the heart of God towards humanity. So he gave up his rights to come and demonstrate to us who he really was. Let's keep reading. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took this humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Keep your finger in your Bible if you're there because we're going to resume in a moment. So here's the thing. See, Jesus demonstrates contentment in the way that he was born. I mean, look, look at the stable behind me. I mean, look at this thing. This is pretty cool. Randy Dodson did this for us for the kids' play. Uh, this is not appropriate for a king, right? I, I mean, I mean if, if, if there's a king of a whole country and they have a child, uh, that child's going to be given the best medical care. It's going to be done in the palace or, or at least in the best hospital that, that humankind can have, right? And, 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 but, but, but look what Jesus chose to be born in, a, a stable. It wasn't, even a, it wasn't even a house. It was so beneath what a God should have been born into. But what was he saying through that birth? He was saying, hey, I, I'm cool with it. I'm content. Let, let me show you a better way. It, I don't have to be born into the best of circumstances to thrive. I, I don't have to have every silver spoon in my mouth. I don't have to have everything I've ever wished for in order to be fruitful as a believer, in order to fulfill the call of God on my life. It doesn't matter what my surroundings are. He was born in a stable, not a castle. Instead of being visited by royalty and rulers and all that, he was visited by shepherds. You notice in the scriptures it says lowly shepherds. Have you, have you seen that? Lowly shepherds. What, I mean, they're not insulting the shepherds. I mean, how would you feel if you were one of the shepherds? Hey, guys, good news. We made it in the Bible. Bad news. They called us lowly. <laughs> lowly shepherds, right? Um, but but they're just they're common folk. They're just, it's just your average everyday job, right? Not the elite. Not the well-studied. Not the... Not, not the professors and, the, and, and all that. Now, if you're a professor, the Lord's got it in for you as well. All right? He wants you. But I'm saying he revealed himself to the, he revealed himself to foreigners. The magi, right, as we call them. He revealed himself to foreigners who traveled all over. You know, he didn't have to have those people travel all over to find the king. He could have spoken to, to the rich and the important of the day. But he used foreigners, outsiders, non-Jews, to greet the Jewish Messiah. What was he saying? Even in his birth, he was saying, man, I'm all about the whole world. Yes, I am the Messiah of the Jews, but I'm the Messiah of the entire world. Amen? Amen. So he was visited by royalty. He, he, uh, he wasn't visited by royalty. He was visited by shepherds and foreigners. He was content. You know, the life of Jesus, he also passed the character test with money. You know, people, there's this idea that Jesus was like super poor. And there were times when he was traveling, he didn't have a place to live. He didn't know like, where he was going to sleep that night. He said that. But he had enough money that he had a treasure. Right? I mean, so he had something. And as a matter of fact, and I'm not going to get off on this, but if, this is an interesting scripture. Luke chapter 8, the verse 3 verses, tells who supported Jesus' ministry. It was a bunch of rich women. It was. Luke chapter 8. Read it. 
he, he, he would go about uh, and travel and preach and do miracles and stuff. And he would take the 12 disciples with him, of course. And he'd take other disciples. But it lists by name, which was a big deal in Jewish culture. They didn't even count the women when they were counting people. Sorry, ladies. They listed them by name. And, gave, and one of the ladies was the financial manager over the whole kingdom. It was her, her husband was the financial manager over the whole kingdom. So she was well off. And she traveled with Jesus. And it says, and, and these ladies su- supplied every need that they had. Okay? So, but Jesus passed the test. Judas didn't pass the test of character. He didn't pass the test. But Jesus passed the test of, he was content. He said, look, I can gather money. Someone can give into my ministry and support me as I go about doing kingdom work. But I'm not going to let that have my heart. Do you see? So Jesus demonstrates that pattern. He passed the character test, and he didn't have to be born into an amazing circumstance to display that he was a king. The next reason that we should be content is that God will trust you with more if you are. Just keep reading where we are. Pick up. So, you know, he he humbled himself. He died a criminal's death. Verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So because he humbled himself, because he showed contentment, the Lord said, okay, you don't, you don't, you don't need anything. I'm going to give you everything. Do you see how that works? Did you get that? that, that that's, that's important for you to know. Those whom God finds faithful and little, who find, he finds them content, no matter what's going on around them, he knows that they're the ones that possess the character that he can then heap more on. Do, do you see that? That's the pattern. It was in Jesus' life. It's in Jesus' teaching. He teaches that. And, and so we have to learn to be content. In the end, it will actually benefit you. We don't do it to benefit us. We do it because God's working on our character. But you need to understand, if you're wondering... Why is my ministry not working out? Why am I still living paycheck to paycheck even though I pray? I'm a giver, Lord. Why don't I do this? Are you content? Because the content people are the people that he gives more to. You know, look, I believe God wants to bless you. How many of you believe that? I believe God wants to bless you, no question. Absolutely. You cannot read the scripture and come away. Well, God wants you to live a horrible life. No, you can't read scripture and come away with that. But you also can't read scripture and ignore all the warnings about money, about it getting in your heart, about it, about it messing you up. About And we're going to read a scripture later on that, that talks about that specifically. So you, you have to be super, super careful. See, God is going to trust people with more to the degree that they are found in contentment. So how do we be content? That's a good question. Have I convinced you you need to be content? Have I shown you it's the righteous pattern? So how do we do it? Well, this is going to sound a lot easier than it is. You don't want what others have. Don't want what others have. This is a very sobering scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read 6 through 8. And if you want to continue, it was one of the major warnings about the love of money. But um, 1 Timothy 6, 6, 
7 and 8 says, True godliness with contentment. Oh, there's our word again. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. How many of you want to be wealthy? How many of you want to say, man, I will, I'll live in great wealth? Well, then you need to look for godliness and contentment. Isn't that what scripture says? It says, true godliness with contentment is great wealth. Next verse. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, right? I mean, you were there. You probably don't remember it. But when you were born, you didn't, like, have, like, your, your tablet with you, right? You didn't have, like, your car keys. Or you didn't have anything with you. You didn't even have clothes on. You were totally and completely had nothing, right? We brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You know, I've seen at funerals where people put things in the, in the casket for those that have passed away. And I know it's a way to honor them. And I know it's, 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 it's I'm not saying don't do it at all. But I'm saying that's going to remain in the casket. You can't take anything with you when you pass to the other side. The only thing you can take with you that's not your own salvation is other people. It's the only thing you can carry across to the other side. When you meet Jesus... You will be rewarded for those that you've introduced to Jesus. And you can take them with you. That's the only thing. There's not a single material possession that you'll be able to take to the other side. Verse 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now some of you have been in spots before where you didn't have enough food or clothing, right? You've been there before. And it's hard to be content when you're hungry. When, when, you, when, you're, when you have physical needs, and that's why we feed people, right? It's one of the ministries of the church is the food pantry. Because we know it's difficult to be content if you don't have food and clothing. I'd love to start a clothing ministry. It's rumbling around and among the leadership here at church. And you've probably seen it pretty, probably you will see it pretty soon. But, but if you've got clothes, thank you, by the way, for wearing them today. And if you've got food, hey, you're good. You're good. I mean, I know not to, not to highlight Doug and Mara, but I'm going to. After losing virtually everything, they had a total shift in perspective. And they realized just how they may have lost a lot of worldly goods, but they, they're good to go. They realized they're content. The most important things are still intact. Amen? Amen. Number two, so don't, don't want what others have. Look, you don't, you, don't need, you don't need that stuff. It's a lie. It's marketing, okay? You don't need it. Two, don't only look at your current circumstances. When, when we get messed up, when we get un, uncontented, discontented, I think is the right word, when we get discontented is when we begin to look at what others have that we don't have, and then we look at our current circumstances and we say, wait a minute, I don't have everything that I want. Wait a minute, I can't be happy unless I have everything I want, right? And then we go down that downward spiral. Check, check this out. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to read 17 and 18. This is a perspective changer here. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Oh, it doesn't feel like that, though, does it? It feels like it's, they're huge and they're going to last forever. 
There is a forever. But forever is eternity with the Lord. That's what's going to last forever. That's what's going to, not your troubles. Look, I know they're bad. I'm not, not trying to d- diminish them. I know it's difficult. But it's just temporary. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Don't have time to get into that. But the degree of your suffering here on earth will also affect the degree of your glory in eternity. Verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Wait, how do you look at something that can't be seen? That's an interesting scripture, isn't it? How do you fix your gaze on something? I mean, anywhere you look, there something is. Right? But we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. All of our attention, all of our focus needs to be put on the eternal. Guys, everything you see in this room, anything you can possibly look at in this room, go ahead, look around. Anything, the chairs, the wall, the TV, me, they will all be gone one day. We're all going to be gone one day. And the clothes that you wanted so badly to impress the person who you don't know where they are right now, they will be gone. My shirts on average last about two weeks before I stain them. With, with the, my shirts are, I go through, it's, it's ridiculous. I sit on sunglasses so much. It should be, a, if it was a profession, I'd be a, I mean, I'd be a professional at that. Like I, I buy $5 gas station sunglasses because I, I sit on them weekly, okay? So that's, it's just a problem. I need prayer, okay? That's what I'm saying. I'm requesting prayer. But we don't look at our current circumstances. We, we look at the promises of God. We look at what you've been promised in the end. If you focus only on the now, you're focusing on part of the problem. Right? You're just focusing on part. We know the end of the story. Focus on that. That's what's real. That's what's unseen. See, what's unseen is not what's now. It's what's in the future. You can't see the future. That's what's unseen. So you focus on what the Lord has promised you, and you don't get bogged down in what you don't have now, right? All right, third, get over entitlement. (laughs) Get over entitlement. Y'all, this is, in our country, in our culture, this is huge right now. People are are so entitled to not hear an opinion that they don't agree with. I can't believe they said that in my presence. Yeah, well... You're not the only person on earth, right? I mean, we are so entitled as a culture. Verse 3 of Romans 12 says, Because of the privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. This is a warning from the Apostle Paul to each and every one of you. You're not the exception here, okay? You ready? He wrote this to you. He wanted you to hear it. Here's the warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Okay, look, you're awesome, you're wonderful, you, God loves you so much, all right? But when we get into the entitlement trap is when we begin to think that we deserve stuff. I deserve this, right? I see someone else has it, therefore I deserve it as well. But you don't know what they did to get it. You have no idea what they did to get it. And, and so this entitlement uh, trap that we, that we fall into here, in, especially in our culture, it's, it's, it's going to steal your contentment. 
You're always going to be looking at what everyone else has. We can't do that. We have to learn to be content. Get over the entitlement. Look, recognize it. It is nipping at your heels. Keeping up with the Joneses is what we call it, right? I'm telling you, you are dealing with this already now. Stay in front of it. Don't let it bog you down. Because your whole goal will be to accumulate more and to be entitled. Your every wish and your, you know, everything that you want, you don't have to have. It's a want. And as we learned about contentment earlier, everything you need, you already have through Jesus. Okay? So we have to be careful of entitlement. And lastly, find your satisfaction in him. Find your satisfaction in Jesus. Find your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your purpose. Find it in him. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Now this is interesting. You would think if scripture said, Hey, don't love money. For God has said, I'll give you money. That would be a logical end to this verse for me. Don't love money. For God has said that everything you ever want will be given to you. That's why you don't need money. But that's not what he says. He says, don't love money, for God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. She says, you don't need all that stuff. Why? Because I've given you me, myself, a relationship with me. The message version of the Bible says it this way. It says, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Don't we tend to we get obsessed with more material stuff? And I'm going to read, this is the last thing, it's the same scripture, but this is um, the original uh, Amplified. And when it says, I will never fail you, in the New Living Translation, there's actually three negatives that precede the verb fail. So I will never, never, never. If you go back and you look in the Greek, there's three negatives. I will never, never, never fail you. Here's how they have it. God himself has said, I will not in any way fail nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless or forsake you or let you down. I will never relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Isn't that good? I will not. I will not. I will not. We can be content because God will never leave us. He will will never relax his grip on you. He will never relax his hold on you. What if I screw up? He's still there. See, when you screw up, your guilt and your condemnation, the accuser of the brethren comes and says, God doesn't want you anymore. God never left. His sacrifice is still good. Just repent. Confess. And turn to him. He didn't go anywhere. He will not. He will not. He will not abandon you. Amen? Are you willing to give yourself the gift of contentment this Christmas? Because see, this is a gift that only you can give. I can't give it to you. It can't be purchased at Walmart. They would be out and the associate would know where it was anyway. And all the boxes would be damaged. Only you can give yourself the gift of contentment. 
Only it's a self-gift. Now, the power for it comes from the Lord, but only you can buy it. You can only buy it. And you buy it with your faith. You can't buy it with money. You buy it by believing that God is who he says he is. That he'll do what he says he'll do for you. You, you, you buy it by getting in the word and believing the promises. You receive it by faith in the promises of God. Are you willing to give yourself that gift this Christmas season? Are you willing to say, hey, navy socks and aftershave. Whatever. It's all good. Because I don't need anything because I have everything. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer.